Welcome to In the Landscape, a podcast on all things landscape design and care related with your hosts, Kate and Charles Sadler. Okay, we are in studio for another episode of In the Landscape. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. We appreciate all of our repeat listeners. Absolutely. And we're definitely excited if you found us maybe on the Apple podcast charts. We Mm -hmm. sometimes appear there among so many other really fine shows. Right. If you've spotted our icon or you got connected to us through another show that you like, welcome. Thank you for joining us. We hope you Here's something that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. And maybe a shout out to the firm that helps us with some of our imagery, the uh, dyad. Oh, yeah. Okay. So w- uh, part of today's episode is all about one of the important components of our practice as a landscape design firm, mm-hmm. somewhat akin to what we're doing here on the podcast. And so it's great to talk about some of the partnerships we have with amazing professionals that enables us to kind of do what we do and do it at a high level. So Mm -hmm. Dyad Communications is a company based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. They are branding consultants. I don't, I mean, they're just geniuses at what they do. Right. Imagery, feel, content. They help develop, I mean, you know, the nuts and bolts are that they help develop brand identity, Instagram campaigns, um, websites. Ultimately, they help people develop websites. So the, the photography and the writing and everything associated with that. We really love their work and we've appreciated what they've done for us and our brand identity. <laughs> so <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Kate Sadler. I'm in studio with my co-host. Charles Sadler. Hi, Charles. We are a team. We're a husband and wife business team in our day jobs. So we're not full-time professional podcasters. Although I love the medium so much. That would be fantastic. But... <laughs> <laughs> Making it a full-time profession, I think, is for some very unique individuals who have very special shows. And that that may not be us, but it's a beautiful supplement to what we do in our professional lives. And it gives us an opportunity to, you know, not only share with listeners what we do, some of it is a way for us to think more clearly about what we do and communicate what we do more clearly. So Charles, your practice has kind of a wide ranging set of services that you offer. Can you describe Mm -hmm. some of those services in in short? Sure. Things we get called on are for design. So it could be site design. So that's like working a specific site within a property. It could be residential, an estate, historic, public property, a commercial site. Then there's the larger scale would be a master plan, which generally a little, it's more general, but it's the scope, what's what's the goal, what's the program, what are the pluses and minuses? And it could be an existing site that's being renovated or re- rehabilitated, or it could be a green site where they, you know, they're breaking ground, new construction. Then there's the consulting arborist practice. So that's it's assessing tree risk. Are trees dangerous? And then relaying that risk, it's assessing the value of trees, which could be we've worked with municipalities, with lawyers, with homeowners to value trees. And then there's the garden care component. And so sometimes, again, that it could be developing a new garden that could take quite a few years to properly prune things so the design is realized. And we do that for gardens that we build and design and also for gardens that others build and design. 
And then there's the renovation or rehabilitation of overgrown gardens, where sometimes we know who the designer was, other times we don't. So those are some of the, the main f- components that I can think of. You can add to it if I missed anything. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, the whole point of that exercise is just to establish the degree to which talking is an important component of being a landscape designer specifically, but a person in business in particular. Mm-hmm. So today's episode is all about garden talks, but sort of more than that, the whole point of providing a podcast and garden talks is to develop the means of communicating what it is we do. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if you are, um, we have many professionals that listen to the show. So if you are in a professional capacity trying to generate business and get people to understand and eventually purchase what you're doing, mm-hmm. <laughs> communication is key. And it's not easy. And especially if our preferred profession is maybe not talking to people, <laughs> you know, you're out right. pruning plants all day. And so developing the skill of communicating what you do has been a real, a real practice, mm-hmm. something that's developed over time. Well, there's a term like within an industry, there's jargon. So lawyers, doctor, doctors, plumbers, it's like shorthand to rapidly communicate in complex communication. So it can, it leaves out people that are not experts. And so, so sharing when we give a garden talk, it's knowing the audience and yeah. it's, like this garden talk we're going to, I'm going to give in Manhattan like in about a week or so at the Rizzoli bookstore. And so that'll be, there'll be probably professionals, might be architects, historians, it could be retired folks, or it could be students. So there's going to be a broad range of people that would know what fluting is on a classic column. And then people that wouldn't know what a classic column was. Oh, it's just, what does that mean? <laughs> Well, knowing your audience is a good point. It is one of the challenges of sort of developing a podcast from scratch because you don't have any data really about who your listening audience is going to be or who you'll, you know, to whom you will appeal as you're just chit-chatting back and forth across the studio. So it's one of the reasons that podcasts, ours included, often put out the call for feedback from listeners because we want to know, are we doing a good job? Was there a topic that you liked? It really Mm -hmm. is... I think I said this early on when I was so jazzed to be doing my own podcast that, you know, it's a participatory medium, Mm -hmm. even though uh, not in real time, of course, because we're recording and then listeners are listening. But with that interaction with the listeners over time, you develop this kind of sort of like long distance rapport with your Mm -hmm. audience. When you're giving a garden talk, there is ideally a little more information about who might be attending. So you are tailoring it to an audience. And one benefit you have, and and we sort of had for the podcast as well, is the idea that ultimately whoever listens is going to be interested in gardens. Right. (laughs) It's like, we're not trying to pitch our talk to folks who are, you know, signing up to, I don't know, hear about classic cars instead. (laughs) So (laughs) there may be overlap. I'm sure there's a Venn diagram that has some overlap there between those two interests. But, but of course, you're trying to come up with topics that would appeal to, a garden audience. Mm-hmm, right. So giving garden talks in a way is just good PR. It gets your brand out there. I'm talking from the perspective of pure entrepreneurship 101, which mm-hmm. is part of my educational and teaching background. So kind of identifying who you are and which audience you want to reach and then getting out there. Right. I mean, there's, I remember in my early career as an illustrator, 
some of the mentors that were successful illustrators, they would say, remember, you're invisible until you put something out there and that it's an ongoing, you can quickly become invisible again. It's just, you know, raising your hand, hey, this is what I, my, some of our, our specialties and that there's like when we're at, we were at like a, a social event, a party, I remember, and there was an architect and they said, who's your competition? So I don't think it's arrogant, but it's what we do. We have specialties. So it's not, there's not really competition. There's not people that do those three or four things that we do. There's folks that do boxwood pruning. There's people that design gardens. But if you're really applied your own specific abilities to your career, I think each, each professional is pretty unique. Absolutely. I mean, that's such great advice from your professors, in, and that's in the field of illustration. And the same is true from my field, which is the performing arts, where there is a little bit of the sense that you're only, you know, you're only as good as your next performance. It almost doesn't matter if you just wrapped the previous performance, what's coming up next. There's mm-hmm. always that, you know, you have to sort of generate the excitement and the interest so that you're getting hired for the next opportunity. So as a landscape designer, that's certainly true. You have some really amazing projects that you've worked on, some special gardens you've designed. You certainly have a website and a portfolio that kind of advertise that. But at a certain point, unless people are somehow finding you through Google search or whatever, you know, they're not going to know that that's mm-hmm. the case. Unless you're finding an opportunity for getting yourself out there, whether it's networking or in this case providing Um, some value to the public, even if it's for free. So, you know, you're not charging for the garden talk necessarily, but you're finding a way of attracting your audience and getting them in the door and having having an opportunity to communicate with them, Mm -hmm. which is very special. So one of the more humble, I guess, humble ways that we get the message out there First of all, if you're interested in starting a podcast, the bar is relatively low (laughs) to entry. I think that's why there are so many podcasts out there. Um, So if you think you have something to say, I would say the most expensive thing that you would pay for is a really high quality microphone. That makes the most difference. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm almost embarrassed to go back to listen to some of our very first episodes because we were still working out, you know, acoustics (laughs) and, and our pattern. Um, mm-hmm. That's just a given that There's happens like a for everyone. Yeah. When you look at people say, oh, a certain talk show, boy, they are so great. But then their contemporaries say, we'll go back like 30 years. When they started, it was awkward. That person is up there interviewing somebody, you know, there's something interesting and they got better. Yes. So we encourage you, but <laughs> just be prepared for a little bit of a learning curve as with most things. And then of course the editing, like we pay someone to do the editing because it's beyond me um, right. in a given week. At this stage, I need to get up to speed on the show notes. And then it's just the persistence. Do you want to kind of stick with it to the point that you're able to communicate something of interest with people who may want to hear it, you know, every week, every couple of weeks? To keep keep at it. Yeah. I mean, like with the speaking, it's a commitment. It's thinking when we we reach out to garden clubs, they plan like more than a year in advance. Mm -hmm. I would say the same is true for writing. So part of the part of being becoming known in your field, whether it's just a social media post or trying to submit articles for submission in journals, it's getting yourself in the habit of just doing it. Like start mm-hmm. to write down your ideas. My favorite tool 
with, I think this is so true for a lot of people, is the notepad function. So you kind of draft it in oh, note right. form. On and a then, smartphone. Exactly. Or on a tablet. Yes. Or- so you can just do it on the go. You get your ideas on the page. And then maybe you're better able to kind of format that into an actual professional post that you're putting out there. I would agree. I mean, I all that. of this stuff is challenging and you really do have to keep it up. The minute you stop kind of attending to one social media channel, it just, you know, engagement just falls right off. It's just so, right. so pick what you think you might be able to commit to. Also, a podcast might be ambitious, but having a really active Twitter feed may be just your speed. And all of it is to, to say that you probably, as a professional or as an enthusiast, do have an important message to share. And there are people who do want to hear it. Like, just believe that they're out there and then go for it in a format that can be sustainable for you and not drive you nuts. Right. And it doesn't have to be every social media platform out there. Right. Try to, like what you do, we try to, what we do do, we try to do it well, not spread ourselves too thin. Which the, still happens, but that's <laughs> uh, true. I was at the New York, I think it was the New York Botanic Garden in the last year or two. And the, the speaker was a well-known garden writer, Margaret Roach. Her blog, and it's, I think it's called A Way to Garden. And she does a podcast now too. And so I chatted with her about really getting more involved in writing myself. And her advice was very simple. It just, she says, write down what, what interests you. And then a theme will develop. And then it'll have momentum. So there might, there's thinking, oh, I should, I should be describing this or this is important. If it's not interesting, I'm not going to do it. And so it's quite simple. Like you just said, it's just writing down, you know, visiting public gardens and seeing a theme. It's like, oh boy, they all do this. But, you know, this is missing in all public gardens. Maybe that's a, there's an article on that. You know, it may sound like an odd analogy, but I'm still thinking a little bit of the performing arts and that idea that you, you ultimately do not have direct competition because we're all so unique. So if you, mm-hmm. if you do have a perspective and a message that you'd like to share, it's important to believe in that and figure out how to articulate it through practice generally. Mm-hmm. Some people are gifted orators right out of the gate, but most of us have to work at it. And it's like, how is it? Sometimes I marvel that there's still new music being put out, you know, sometimes it's similar to what's already out there, but there's a new hit song that sounds totally different every, you know, every week. And there's sort of an endless capacity for, for creativity and creation and communication among people. Mm -hmm. So that idea that there's, you may feel like the, that the space is full and there's no room for anything else. Right. Like there's a lot of podcasts out there. Apparently there's a lot of you know, home and garden podcasts. And so is there really space for us and what we have to say? Maybe for a few listeners, maybe for many, but there's no, if you limit yourself with it before you even try to put your message out there, then of course you'll never know. And there's no harm in trying. And it's at some of the garden, the, I didn't attend this year, but at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, which I used to live quite near there, I used to be able to walk. They have a, a winter symposium called plantarama which is like, <laughs> you, you can't help but like that topic yeah it's probably about 20 years maybe even a little more and so it's interesting to see what speakers they i mean they get very well-known people like michael durr has been a speaker margaret roach has probably been a speaker the woman who spoke this year there were a couple of speakers i think she's involved in like her name is rebecca from the Battery Garden Conservancy. So she's not as well known, but she's doing exciting things. And then a man, Bill Logan, who's an arborist, he does 
he's an arborist company, and he's also a, really a very accomplished writer. So it was quite, so these conferences are always looking for someone that's new and different and has a different point of view. The people that speak a lot, they will continue to speak, I mean, until they retire. <laughs> but there's definitely room for, there's always room for new voices. And that keeps it, keeps it interesting. And I think it's helpful to note that with, for example, press releases, why would a paper print someone's press release? How did, why does that work? It works because newspapers need content. Mm-hmm. Uh, libraries need speakers. Garden clubs need speakers. So although you may have to be patient because these speaking calendars fill, as you said, sometimes a year in advance, everyone needs content if they're in sort of the production side of things. They want mm-hmm. to have things to put out there. Every single platform that shares a podcast was more than happy to pick up our podcast. It doesn't really cost them anything, but you get added to something like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, tune in on Amazon, and you become a part of a community. And it's because, mm-hmm. you know, some podcasts have started to they're not being continued and so people don't always go back and listen to them and so they want things that are producing fresh content. And, and the platforms are there. So I was mentioning kind of humble beginnings. And of course, one of the things we're doing to uh, share our information with our local community is the library garden talk. Which is great to bar of entry. That is, it's pretty low. It's pretty simple. So we're preparing a talk that we're going to give in New York. And so we're going to share that same talk locally here in the Houston suburbs. I just flashed on that movie. I think Meryl Streep is in it. It's based on a, an historical figure, Florence Foster Jenkins. Oh, right. Who was not. <laughs> she was a, an enthusiastic music lover and just not a, a not, great singer. Not in tune. No. Um, but, <laughs> but nobody would tell her, right? But, well, but she had the money to self-produce. I mean, many of us are, you know, self-published authors these days, thanks right. to the internet or self-produced musicians. And the idea is that if you're willing to invest a little bit in getting yourself out there and maybe having small audiences at first, or you figure out the marketing mechanisms, you can, as a as a speaker, as a writer, you can kind of put anything out there. And the important thing is to have the content developed. So booking yourself for dates in your local library system, generally the talks have to be completely free and you have to do the advertising and the marketing. You may get on their calendar, but some of them will only do library sponsored events. And so it's up to you to to get the word out and to invite people. But it gives you a deadline, like a date. at which you will have to get up and speak about your topic of interest. Mm -hmm. And that can really motivate you to get words on the page or photos in the PowerPoint and at least practice. And then you have, although it was self-produced, you have a talk on your resume that you can then start to put out for garden clubs to take note. You can record it, get it on YouTube. There's ways to expand that effort into other opportunities for yourself. Right, And it doesn't happen... Many times we're waiting for someone else to give us the opportunity and they just don't know you're, like you said, you're invisible until you're not. Right. You almost have to, I mean, with different posts we do, I'll do a training in a part of the country and then I'll share it through different social media and channels. Someone else will see that and they'll say, oh, maybe I, I want to purchase that service. So it's, I mean, until you, until you say that you do it, you have to almost show that you do it. And then people think, oh, I might want to. I'm a director 
and my garden staff needs training. But I wouldn't have thought of that. But when I see that it's someone else is doing it. Totally. And for those of us who are somewhat uncomfortable with self-promotion, this idea of being an entrepreneur, having a business, maybe being a speaker or a trainer who gets to travel as you have, because that is fun and exciting. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of different cities. The main idea is to believe in what you're doing, that it's not so much you're promoting yourself. Hello, here I am. You're promoting your knowledge. You're promoting your passion for the landscape. And so if it's a hard sort of bridge to cross to say, hey, come and watch me stand up and talk, believe in the content again. It's all about that mm-hmm. and, and kind of the mission in getting, because one of the things that has sort of driven your career is this mission to restore landscapes that have suffered from uninformed horticultural practices. I think many mm-hmm. of our listeners can believe, can say that's a worthwhile mission. Right. And so the, the intensity with which we want to get that message out to protect these plants, to help these clients and homeowners is very worthwhile. So it helps kind of drive the development of the content and then the, the need to express it to different audiences. And no matter how unusual pruning boxwood, cloud pruning, it's so specialized, but people from around the world, we communicate, they ask us questions, we learn from others. So no matter how seemingly obscure your interest, there are others that are interested. Or I mean, that just that, that phenomenon of, oh, what are you doing? It's, people are curious. And then I learned from, there's a PhD, I think his name is Duncan Slater, that's at a, a college university in England. That's like a tree. He has certain like arborists, you know, expertise. He does a lot of sharing and posts. So just so he's definitely definite, definite different expertise than me. But we mutually respect each other. We ask each other questions. We support each other's posts. And yeah, his posts are engaging. That's like, well, I'll, I'll get to meet him. You know, when, when yeah. I'm in England next time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So you do have an important talk coming up. I think this episode will probably air either just as you're giving the talk or maybe the week after. We have to look at our, we're batch recording, as they say. So we're trying to get a few in the can before you travel. So what's coming up for you? We've mentioned it before, but this, the point of me bringing it up yet again, is to talk about kind of the process you went through to even get to this point. Right. So let's see. We joined the Institute of Classical Art and Architecture. Mm -hmm. And so they support, much of their efforts are the experts in the organization are volunteers. So it's architects, people in the decorative arts, historians, architects, landscape architects, landscape designers. And a quick caveat. I mean, you don't join as a volunteer so you get something specific from an organization. But if you are an enthusiast and you do want to share and learn, learn Correct. from others in your field, you know, it's perfectly valid to kind of join in, see where it might, opportunities may arise from that sort of giving of your time. And that's how it just sort of organic. Where And networking with the people involved. Because it's just, I don't know, it's a very human thing. Like, hey, we like you, participate. Hey, maybe we can do something with your talents. It's, it's a very like mutually beneficial relationship. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just wanted to kind of put it out there that it's not like you necessarily say, oh, let me just kind of get in here and see what happens with a specific agenda. Just be open mm-hmm. and you never know. And right. so for you, it just happened to work out that way because it's such an important cultural institution and some of the talks that are being given are, are talks we would want to attend, mm-hmm. you know, want to be in that world and absorbing that information. Right. So we contacted them and then the process was 
they partner with Rizzoli Bookstore. And so it was picking a book. It didn't have to be published by Rizzoli, but like within that sort of pantheon, you know, of, of literature. And then so since we spend time in Houston, Texas, our you know, primary residence now, I wanted to try to find a cultural institution in this region. And so that led me to a, a book on Longview, which is a home in New Orleans, an estate that Mr. and Mrs. Stern were the owners and they, they developed, you know, this very ornate Beaux-Arts classical art and architecture property that was really very involved in, in the public, the cultural, social scene in New Orleans. Their, their home was open to the public and not on a daily basis, but on a regular basis. So kind of like talk 101, writing 101, it, it pays to understand kind of like the, the key themes that may be worth highlighting or that mm-hmm. may help you develop a through line to your speaking. So because this was for the Institute of Classical Art and Architecture, classicism was an important concept to kind of be looking for as you were selecting material and then to kind of guide the talk as it develops. Mm-hmm. So that you're relating it to, again, your audience, and it gives you almost like a scaffold on which to develop the, the other ideas, because you can talk about pruning, maintenance, artistic development, uh, landscape design in terms of these principles that then also have kind of a social philosophical element to them. So it makes it a rich and kind of exciting ground of research, Mm -hmm. which the talk should be interesting to you as well. This idea of content development, you know, I'm working on my dissertation and every time someone asks me what it's about, I get excited about it again, Mm -hmm. which is really important because it's a long slog, you know, pick topics, not that you necessarily think will appeal to the broadest audience. It's okay if they don't, if it's a small audience, it's still your audience but it should be a topic that excites you to be talking about in the first place because people can hear, oh, sometimes you listeners will never know this because we've scrapped them, but there are some episodes that we've started to record and you and I are just kind of like, this is a dud. <laughs> like, the, like the subject we feel is yeah. valid. It oh, should so be good, shared. Like we don't, we don't have the expertise. There's not enough interesting, rich conversation we can wrap around it. Yeah. So we've hopefully spared you from the worst of those. (laughs) And yeah, it's just that process of trial and error. So you do sometimes have to be willing to throw the article out or the the talk, maybe develop it in a different direction than you think. It's helpful to know your audience, but you cannot predict what they're thinking. So, you know, ultimately it's it's what you want to develop and then and then try to advertise it to people you think might want to hear it. Right. And I mean the subject to elaborate on that a little more. There are so many, like the estates of the Hudson Valley or of the Berkshire, I mean, or of there are areas of the country or the world where there's so much literature and discussion, and which is, it's deserved. And there's areas, the estates of New Orleans is not as well known. And this place is so special. And so like to shine a light on something that doesn't get as much attention. And then along with that are pioneers in the field, particularly female pioneers, that also does not get enough attention. And so there's like within the last maybe 10 years, there are, there's more and more literature highlighting pioneer female landscape architects, landscape designers throughout history. And so one of them is Ellen Shipman, who designed Longview. And so she was doing just as exciting work as Olmsted and Warren Manning. I mean, 
you know, stunning, working throughout the United States, very innovative. And her name, it deserves to be heard. <laughs> so in some ways, you can look for topics that might be on trend. As long as they genuinely appeal to you, authenticity is, is definitely a key. People can hear it if you're not authentically invested in your topic. And just reflecting on the process of writing a dissertation or even an article for a publication, and this can pertain to trying to develop garden talks that you want to market, is the idea of a literature review. That's literally where your research is supposed to start. Mm -hmm. And this idea that you have an awareness of what is out there. So if it is a topic like, you know, the estates of the Hudson River Valley, maybe you're looking for a niche perspective on that. Right. Um, maybe it's about the the people that actually worked on those estates and their participation in the horticulture. In Monty Don's American Gardens, he was in that, on that property, was it South Carolina? I think that was one of them, correct. And he was talking to the families that had maintained it, which I thought was really a beautiful connection to the property. It was so and, compelling. And it's not all about who the main head honcho is, necessarily. Oh, right. Correct. So the other option there is you find a topic that's relatively unexplored. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what dissertation <laughs> writers are doing. <laughs> Uh, all the time as they as they explore the literature and try to figure out like what you know what hasn't been written on ad nauseum before. So well, some yeah. of the boxwood articles we've written, we've done a, it, we've done literature reviews, mm -hmm. and that really led to you know, when there's a gap. You might think there's a gap. No one's written about this. I mean, that could be right. It could be wrong. And then really building on when you're making your case, your point, you have you're standing on the shoulders of all that previous research. Sometimes an article is just the the literature review. It is saying how you know in in what ways have people written about this and what's the overview. So you, if you if you want to start with doing a survey like that, it can be a way to submit something for publication that doesn't require as much independent sort of like new research, whether it's you know field research or experimental or whatever. You can be the person who kind of checks out the field and synthesizes it in a way and submits it for an article. Another good place to essentially start would be to look at the submission guidelines for any journals or websites oh, that you're which, thinking about. Which we've done. Yeah, which, which we've done. And then we communicate directly with the people before we, you know, the, the editorial board, depending on if it's like a peer reviewed journal, they usually have a very uh, specific set of guidelines. You can't just write to them and say, hey, I'm thinking of doing this because they're busy reviewing articles. So there may be some more informal but still writing opportunities that you can access and, and actually communicate directly to say what would be of interest. We have these ideas. And some of the guidelines, the word count is quite short. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't, I'm not great at remembering the number of words, but I mean, I had to cut it down by like 75%. Yeah. Because they're trying to fit it into maybe a magazine as opposed to some of the journals that I've been looking into, which are 20 page articles. Right. <laughs> so. That is a challenge to write that much. Um, and same with to a, be sure with a, a an in person presentation. Yes. really thinking, like having each slide count. Mm -hmm. In some of the professional presentations I go to, there's hundreds of slides. They're going to them fast. It's doing it for the general public. That's not a great approach. You know, having really each slide count. That there's thought. There's I'm not trying to race through a. A presentation. So we would call that pacing. Pacing mm. is important. Um, it, you know, public speaking, again, sort of like the 101 course on it would suggest that we not speak quickly, that, you know, for public audiences, clear diction, <laughs> a slow tempo, not 
agonizingly slow, but slower than you might expect is appropriate for mm-hmm. communicating auditory information, especially if not every word is written on your slide, which it shouldn't be, because then you're just reading slides. That's a really good point. It's it's, all about tempo. It's almost like a musical performance in that way. And the audience, it's pretty good. It's likely it's it's new information to them. Mm -hmm. So saying very clearly, Shipman lived from this period of time. She worked on this estate. They're very clearly. So people say, wait, that was 1885 or 1985. Well, and bringing in familiar connections. So relating, I mean, believe me, we do, we have to do, if we do a recital, it's the composer's date of birth and death, which, you know, I mean, doesn't, doesn't always connect. It doesn't always resonate with people. So connecting someone's lifetime with contemporary events. So, you know, it Mm. would have spanned the, between the world wars and through the great depression. And there were still benefactors who were, you know, had their finances still together and we're promoting, you know, art and, and employing people in a way that was a benefit to the down economy. I mean, that's one way to kind of give people a sense of place and context for the information they're hearing, which is usually what we need because a lot of the factoids that are out there go in one year and out the other. And some really great podcasts, uh, historic podcasts will do that very, very well. They'll give you a way of kind of relating to what's going on. But at Longview, there's a room where they have the landscape architectural models and some of the plans. They have a wall, sort of like a wall of fame, where all the different people that contributed to the garden, some of the construction people, the landscape labor people, architects, landscape architects, they try as best as possible having photos of during that period. So Ellen Shipman was doing it. She was not a young woman. She was a grandmother. And so they have a picture of her who would have been in the 1940s when this garden was being built, like, like the late 30s into the early 40s. So she's sitting in a chair with her grandchild on her lap. And that was a picture from that time period. So it really brings you into that moment. So, so kind of like the old adage, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? <laughs> the answer is not by taxi. It's uh, practice, practice, practice. So in this case, practicing your talks before you give them but also practicing by doing. So again, finding opportunities, maybe you are self-producing them, but getting up in front of people and having an opportunity to, to work it through mm-hmm. is really crucial to figuring out your own cadence, your own tempo for this style of presentation. Right. Doing it with colleagues, friends, spouses, saying, what do you, is it, would this be a good way to open? Would maybe a funny anecdote, a funny story? You know, maybe I start off with all these dates and that might be putting people to sleep. You want to start off, you know, like the beginning of a novel, that first sentence, really want to pull people in. Anything else to note before we wrap for today? The advertising or the, promote, the promoting of it. So having, like knowing your audience. So having beautiful photography. Of course, giving credit if it's not your own photograph. Keeping it simple. You know, that it's a garden talk about this subject at this time. How to, how to get in touch with the people giving the talk. If it's, if there's a fee for it, if there's, if it's free and then hanging those flyers and whether it's social media, you can list an event on Facebook. That's, that's a, a pretty good avenue. And that, that's about it, I think. All right. And you know, if no one shows up the first time, try it again. That's right. <laughs> try, try again. Yes. You could even do it for your family in your living room if all else fails. So I don't know, some, somehow this episode came together to be about the idea of 
some of what we do behind the scenes just to sustain a small landscape design practice that has some really impressive professional opportunities behind it and how you get out and connect with people in that world if that's of interest to you especially if you're drawn to a medium like podcasting we, we hope it will be and uh, just know if you if you build it and you market it and you keep at it they will come right. <laughs> so if, you, if you build it they may not come right away so stick with it persevere you know believe in the content that you think you'd like to deliver and let us know how it goes or That's invite right. us. That's right. Or have us come give a talk, <laughs> whichever appeals to you. But uh, we thank you for listening today. And we look forward to presenting another topic next week, all about the landscape. And uh, this spring, we're speaking at the American Boxwood Symposium that's going to be in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yes. So we'll put up that's some in information March. about that as well. All right. Thanks for listening. And we hope you get into the landscape sometime soon. Until then. Thank you. In the Landscape is brought to you by King Garden, a full-service landscape design, care, and education company. Enjoying what you hear on our podcast? We encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear from you, so drop us a line at connect at kinggardeninc.com. We welcome show ideas, gardening and design questions, and always corrections. We travel all over North America giving garden talks and leading trainings. Check us out at kinggardeninc.com for our speaking details. And also take a look at our online course offerings for more in-depth explorations of topics covered on our show.